that in most churches, the entire children's program with a few men peppered in is, done, is held by women. Nothing wrong with that. Women are incredible in, in what they do. But what, what we don't have an opportunity in that kind of environment is to teach boys how to be men. And so in most churches, boys do not have the opportunity to watch a guy struggle through a Bible story or um, a skit or do something out of his comfort zone. And they have unrealistic expectations of what it's going to be like when they grow up and they become an adult. So that's why we are so encouraging. We're thankful for the number of men that serve here in a number of roles, but especially with our children. And so we want to have some fun in Kidmo. If you're interested in getting involved, there's a, there, it's very casual um, but a lot of fun. And so we're going to start doing more skits. Instead of the kids seeing a 10-minute a video that gives the basic lesson and then going out and following that up with some other things, we're going to teach that live to the kids. So we would love for you to be involved, men and women, if you're interested. And if you feel that you are, are unqualified and you are not a creative person that likes to get up and act and things like that, that is okay, but there is a place for you. Um, so, if you're interested in doing that, come talk with me, or you can talk with Heath, you can uh, chat with Deidre, uh, Scott, any, any, anybody on staff. We would love for you to get involved, and as we enter into this fall season, as we're kind of getting back into the groove, uh, that's just an awesome area to get involved and to make an impact on these kids. And the thing is, it doesn't just impact the kids, it will impact you. And I have found that my faith grows when I am serving and when I am leading much more than when I am just waiting for others to invest in me. So I want to encourage you to go ahead and jump in on that, um, and we would love to kick that off. I'm going to go ahead and jump into the sermon, so we're going to skip the video. And um, I want to close out our series. I've been given strict instructions. The last couple of weeks we've gone over um, in here. And so I've been given strict instructions from our children's director that I better not do that today um, because she's a, uh, she is, anyway, she holds a great amount of power over me. If you're our guest today, I'm married to her. If you wonder what kind of dysfunctional system this is. Um, so I'm going to jump right on in. And, and here's what I want to do. I want to I finish out David today. Now, next week, we're going to start a new series called NUMA. And we're going to be doing um, another one of our doctrine series. Now, we haven't done a doctrine series in about a year now. And, but over the last couple of years, we've been taking chunks of major doctrines, and we've been going through what are those. And so um, the last one that we did was about Jesus and salvation. This series is going to be about the Holy Spirit. It is the number one missing component in a person's doctrine and faith. And so we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and how, that, uh, how the Holy Spirit works within your life. If you come from a uh, you know, certain religious background, you don't talk about the Holy Spirit. Uh, the Holy Spirit is something that's just this kind of weird thing, and we just don't really talk about it. We know it's real, but you know, we're, we're very reserved, and we don't talk about the Holy Spirit taking over our lives. You may be coming from a background where the Holy Spirit is everything, and you get really excited about that. Um, but we're going to walk through Scripture for the next few weeks, and we're going to be talking about what is the Holy Spirit and uh, how does the Holy Spirit work within us. So I'm excited about that starting next week. Today, I, I want to finish out David, and I hope... Has this, ha have you enjoyed this series on David? Good. You know, when, you ask, when a pastor asks a question like that, you really don't have a, another answer to give, do you? It's like, no, oh, it's been terrible. I mean, you're not going to say that, but I hope it's been good for you. Um, and I hope that we've shared some stories that you were unfamiliar with and some aspects of David's life and character that maybe you were not used to. Um, David is not the perfect man. Now, David is the most heralded Jew in all of Jewish history other than Jesus. Even Jesus is not heralded by some as highly esteemed as David. David was seen as not only the greatest king, but the king who would set in motion a, a future for this nation that they would not have had otherwise. He was popular. He was well-known. His reputation had gone out into the known world at that time, and he had brought great prosperity to this nation. But along the way, what we've seen is that David, like so many of us, was just a man. He was not a perfect man. By any means. In fact, he made mistakes time and time 
and time again. And we're going to look at another one today because his life is so rich with mistakes. And it's always fun to look at someone else's mistakes instead of our own, right? It's always more fun to look at what someone else is doing wrong. But we can learn from these. Along the way, the message I want you to get today, and I'll just give it to you now, is that God is so rich in mercy and grace that he does not expect you to be perfect. And if you want to be a person after God's own heart, it is not about walking the straight and narrow and never going off the path. But instead, being a person after God's own heart means that when we do, we come back. So there's a few things that I want to share with you. This is um, a time where David, this is the end of his life. David's an old man at this point. He's not able to take care of himself. His body is beginning to fail him. And as in any kingship, there is a natural succession that should happen. In David's family, there's a real problem with the secession plan. Most of David's sons who would take over as king are now dead. So David is a man who was greatly acquainted with grief. If you follow his story, what we know up to this point in his life is that David lost his first son with Bathsheba as a judgment against his sin in not only having an affair with Bathsheba, but what he also did to her husband. What we then saw a couple of weeks ago is that his next son, Amnon created a, he, he committed a terrible sin against his half-sister Tamar, and Absalom, David's next son after Amnon, was so angry that he ended up killing Amnon and eventually rebelling against his father David, and he would in battle finally die. David at that moment had lost three sons. His first son with Bathsheba, he lost Amnon, and he lost Absalom. Now, David will have another. This is all important, so hang with me. David will have another son, but we will not hear about that son anymore other than his birth. And so we don't really know what happened to him. We don't know if they split. We don't know if they just left. He had, this was a child with his wife, Abigail, but likely he also died for some reason along the way, which is why we never hear from him. So David at this point has two sons left. And the story I'm going to share with you today is a story about these two sons. And what we're going to see is that David continues to make bad mistakes, but then continues to turn his heart back towards God. So we are going to look at 2 Samuel verse 23. And we're going to go through 1 Kings chapter 1, and we're going to skip a little bit along the way, but I want you to see a few things with me. On 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 1, I want you to hear the heart of David here again. We've seen this time and time again. This is probably labeled in your Bible as the last words of David. It's not, <laughs> or it could be more accurately uh, de um, described as the last oracle of David. So this is the last time that we hear David prophetically speaking about God and from God to the nation of Israel. He will interact with other people later, so the last words of David is a little bit misleading. We will hear from him again in the next few chapters. But at this point, this is the last time David acts as a prophet for God. And this is what he says. I want you to listen to his heart, and this is what I hope that we all will aspire to. Now, these are the last words of David, the oracle of David, the son of Jesse, the oracle of the man who was raised on high, the anointed of the God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. The spirit of the Lord speaks by me, he says. His word is on my tongue. The God of Israel has spoken. The rock of Israel has said to me, when one rules justly over men, ruling in the fear of God, he dawns on them like the morning light, like the sun shining forth on a cloudless morning, like rain that makes grass to sprout from the earth. For does not my house stand so with God? For he has made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things and secure. For will he not cause to prosper all my help and my desire? But worthless men are all like thorns that are thrown away, for they cannot be taken with the hand. But the man who touches them arms himself with iron and the shaft of a spear, and they are utterly consumed with fire. In David's life, he has walked with God, and he has walked apart from God. 
And every time in his life that he has walked apart from God, he has found great sorrow and pain, and it has prompted him to return to what he knew. Life is about walking with God. That is it. If you want to know the purpose of life, many of us have different purposes of life. We will believe that we're supposed to have a good job that we enjoy and have fun and we make enough money that we can go do other enjoyable things and we can take care of our families and we can feel good about everything and and we just kind of get through life. Many of us will take that purpose of life and we will miss what truly brings fullness and fruit in the days that you live and that is this, that we walk with God. Nothing else matters if that is not in place in our lives. It doesn't matter how good our jobs are. It doesn't matter how good our lives are. It doesn't matter how nice of a house we live in. It doesn't matter how many people envy us. The most important part of life is walking with God. David knew this. But one of the things we do when we read David's story is we look at him and we say, how could you, who have been so blessed by God and seen God do so many wonderful things and have him do so many things through your life, how could you be so faithless as to have an affair? How could you be such a bad example of a king that you allow one son to kill another and before that, that son to rape one of your daughters? How could you allow this? You are a terrible king. And in the culture that you and I are in right now, it is so easy to look at someone's faults and to heap coals on them. But it should remind us, especially so much of the New Testament that reminds us, there is none that are righteous. Our attempt to walk the straight and narrow in order to be the thing before God so that we have all of our stuff together is going to be an absolutely impossible endeavor. No matter how hard we try to be just right, no matter how hard we try to do everything just the way it's supposed to be, you will fail every time. You will fail because apart from Christ, there is no way to reach righteousness. And so when we look at David's life, what we see is a man who demonstrates that he was not without sin, just like all of us. You may be thinking, well, I didn't have an affair and kill her husband, and That's good. You are up on David. All right? But before God, all sins are equal. Right? In our hearts, it doesn't feel like all sins are equal. The more painful sins, the more evil sins, the things that are are more damaging, those seem like those are so so much worse. But the only sin that has the power to bring death is the sin that is never followed up with by repentance. The only one. And that sin can be anything from pride to having an affair and killing their spouse. It's amazing when we get through and we begin to read Scripture and we begin to believe what it says and we begin to understand that David was never meant, he, although he showed us a picture of what a Savior would be, he was never meant to be the Savior. He was unable to fulfill that role. For David, the reason he's a man after God's own heart is not because he knew how to walk through this life without sin. The reason is, or the defining characteristic of David's life, is his worship for the God that he loved. Today, I love the music that we sang today, and I love that last song we did, Oh, How He Loves. I mean, I could just hear, it's like the volume of I don't know if it's just familiarity in the room or what, but the volume of your singing on that song trumped every other song that we sang this morning. I don't get stuck. I said trumped. I, I didn't mean that by a name. Some of you are like, he's talking about Trump again. You know, I, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that song resonates with us. Maybe it's just because you've sung it so many times. I don't know. That song resonates with us. Oh, how he loves. For David... His defining characteristic was his worship because he loved God. It got him in trouble more times than one. But he consistently went back to the one that he would worship. And God would consistently forgive his sin and restore him. 
The story of David continues to teach us about God's enduring patience, about his mercy, and about his grace. Because if a man like David could be called a man after God's own heart, then God must be patient and merciful and graceful. And so if you sit here, many of us, we feel that we have fatal flaws that we don't want anyone to know about within our life. I want you to know that God is patient. And just as God was merciful with David, he is merciful with you and with me. And he is full of grace for us. Now to jump ahead a little bit in the story, in the next few chapters, if you continue to read, what you're going to find is that David then, after this oracle, gets in trouble again. And he gets in trouble because... He holds a census, and the census had many different roles, and uh, he would be rebuked and judged by God, and he would have to cry out again in the way he had done so many times for forgiveness and worship again. But in this census, he had gone out, and his buddy that was doing the census started to inflate the numbers. Now, we don't really know why God was judging David for the census, although for most scholars, they believe that David was inflating the numbers or his friends were doing it for him because pride was something that David continually struggled with. It would well up within him, and a king would often swell the census numbers so he could brag to other monarchs, he could brag to his kingdom about how many people he actually commanded and how much the kingdom had grown since he had been in power. For whatever reason, the census angered God and he was judged. That's not really the important part of this story. What is important is what David did time and time again. Is that he returned and he repented and he worshipped. Now for me, whenever I'm working with someone and they consistently fail or consistently do the wrong thing or consistently have to get, ask forgiveness, we get a little frustrated with that, don't we? I mean, we get kind of tired of it. You know, how many times are we going to have to go through this? In fact, sometimes we don't tell people about some of our failures because we are afraid that's what they'll think about us. How many times are you going to fail at this? But what God shows us is that when our heart is inclined towards Him, He continually forgives and restores time and time again. It is a great gift of mercy. We read about this in Ephesians 2 for what Jesus has done for us. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the, His great love, which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. This is what God has shown from the beginning, even though they did not experience the salvation of Christ in their time, God continually acted in their lives in this same way. God is consistently full of mercy and grace, even when there is judgment. Consistently, over and over and over again. Let's jump ahead to 1 Kings, and after this particular event in his life, this is when we get into the very last days of his life, and we're going to have conflict again with his two remaining sons. First King chapter 1 says, Now King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms that the lord, my king, lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel and found Abishag the Shunammite and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. At this point, David is old. His circulation is bad. He can't stay warm no matter what they do. They can't just put him under some electric blankets. They can't throw some blankets in the microwave and throw it on top of him. You know, they didn't have those things. And so one of the things they would do when a person would get to this point of their life is they would hire somebody to come and kind of, you know, be with them, serve them, take care of them, and then, you know, sleep next to them to try to keep them warm. And so this is where David is. Now, as I get older, and some of you are saying, well, you're not old, and then some of you are saying, man, you are old. So it, there's lots of different people in the room. 
But as I get older, one of the things that we struggle with is we're not able to do some of the things we used to do when we were younger. Amen? You won't admit it, but you know it's true. There's only a couple of you who said amen on that. But can you imagine what David would be going through at this time of his life? Keep in mind all of the things he has accomplished. He has torn apart beasts with his bare hands. He has defeated Goliath. He has gone to war so that songs were sung about him, even when Saul was still alive, saying, well, Saul's killed his thousands, but David's killed his ten thousands. He is at this point the greatest warrior that they have ever seen. And now he can't even keep himself warm. He has come to a place in his life where he has brought wealth and he has brought power and he has expanded the territory of this nation into the promised land that no one else was able to get. He was able to expand the territory and he is and still to this day is considered the greatest leader that ever came out of the nation other than Jesus. But now he can't even keep warm. You know, there are times in our lives when we mourn that we are not the people we wished that we were. And I think one of the hard things to deal with in life is when you used to be and you are no longer. For David, these next series of events, I'm not sure if it's because he was tired and old or because after a lifetime of following God, his perspective on the world has changed. I believe it was probably a little bit of both. But this is where we find King David, and let me explain what I mean. Verse 5. Now, Adonijah. Now, this is his next oldest son, and this, he is born from a wife named Haggith. We don't know a whole lot about Haggith, but this, is, this was a half-brother to all the other brothers that they have had. The son of Haggith exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, what have you, what, why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. So he's the second born. Now I want you to pick up on verse 6 again. If any of you struggle with at times not being the kind of parent that you wished you were? Well, here's David to make you feel better about yourself. His father had never at any time displeased him, his son. He had never displeased his son by asking, why have you done this? Which means he never disciplined his son. He never stopped and made him give an account for his behavior. And what do you imagine happened to this son whose father never made him account for his behavior? He's gone nuts. And not only that, he's good looking. And so he gets whatever he wants. He's the king's eldest son. And after Absalom is gone, he's certain that he's going to be the next in line. Now we have some problems with this theologically where we're at, because in all of the Old Testament, God selects the king. And yet, what we find in this story is that his son decides it's time for him to choose who's going to be king. It's not unlikely to think that he should be. I mean, usually in monarchs, there, monarchies, there are, is a succession that the next oldest son would take over. And so he begins to take control. This is another trial that David is going to have to deal with. He's seen everything that his father has done. He's seen what's happened with Amnon and Absalom. He knows all of his failings. He's also seen his dad get incredible accolades and be praised and worshipped by his own people. And he thinks that he is next. But in reality, we're going to find that this creates a great amount of tension because he was never meant to be king. And this is what I want to leave you. And if you are here today with children or if you have children, this is what you probably already know. 
But this is one I want to just impart to you, is that your legacy will be found in how you raised your children. Your legacy will be found in how you raise your children. Now, there are lots of things I want my legacy to say about me. And there are a lot of things I don't want my legacy to say about me. In all reality, in the way that I have lived my life, if everyone knows everything I've ever done, I may not have a great legacy. But the truth is, when we have children, everything changes in our lives. There's a reason that Paul says, you know what, it's really better just not to get married or have kids. It's better just to live a life faithfully following God. You can do so much more uh, whenever you do that. But if you do, then you take on a whole different responsibility in your life. You see, a parent, whenever they begin to have children, they no longer get to do whatever they want. They never, no longer just get to have whatever hobby they want to have. And instead, their attention goes to, first, keeping them alive. And then you begin to teach them so that they don't make it harder to keep them alive. And then you begin to teach them character and how to live a good life. And you're trying to protect them from all the bad lessons that can be learned that are out there. But our legacy changes once we have kids. And for David, much of his legacy will come from his children. And here is a man who has lived an incredible life. Here's a man who has done incredible things. We know at this point, because we have read the rest of the story, that Solomon is going to follow him. But when this is happening, no one else knows that. Now I want you to imagine Had this happened and Solomon was not king, what would it look like to have likely a spoiled brat as king? What would have happened to the nation? What would have happened to what was going to be coming down the line? War? Likely lost a good part of the kingdom? Harsh? Whenever we find kings who are self-absorbed and are spoiled, they they are harsh on the people that they govern. They tax them incessantly. They expect them to give everything they have to the king. And they hurt their people. But we see time and time again, had this gone on and had David allowed this to happen, then who knows what would have happened for our history. Let's read on. Verse 7, he conferred with Joab. This is his son, Adonijah. (laughs) I struggle with his name. He conferred with Joab. If you're familiar with Joab, Joab was one of the commanders of David's army. He knew him very well. It also says he conferred with Abiathar, the priest, who was also one of David's primary priests. He's building his army. He's building those of influence and those of power that would give him what he wants because he has learned a thing from his dad. And they followed and helped him. But Zadok the priest and Benaiah the son of Jehoda and Nathan the prophet and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. It means that we have a split kingdom at this point. We have those that are in power that are with him and those that are in power that are still with David. He sacrificed sheep, oxen, fattened cattle by the serpent stone, which this is what some of us sometimes do. He goes and he sacrifices to God to accept his kingship when God has never given that to him. In other words, he tries to force God's hand by doing these basic functions and actions of worship where his heart was not inclined to follow God. Do we ever do that? Yes. That's the easy answer. Yes. It's a short answer. Yes. We do that. At times we will go through some kind of of process of trying to prove that what we are doing within our lives is the thing that God wants. And that's exactly what he's doing. He's going through all the process to become king, but no one has given given him that authority. And then it says he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet or Benaiah or the mighty men or Solomon his brother because he knew at the end of the day this was not the way you do things. So he excluded the people that could throw a wrench in his plans. 
Now, the reason I believe that David was probably not on top of this, I do think part of it is he was old and he was tired, and he was just trying to stay alive at this point. But what I also believe is that David had learned that when you follow God faithfully, God has a tendency of making things work out the way they're supposed to. David has seen this time and time again. And this is one of the things, one of the ways that you experience peace and one of the ways you experience hope whenever you are dealing with difficult things within your life if you are following Christ. And that is because you begin to trust that an all-powerful God, no matter what the landscape looks like, is able to change anything. And you can trust and you can rest in His ability to make things happen in the way that they should. As we are getting all up in arms over all kinds of things right now, if you watch the news, then you're all up in arms about lots of things right now. I struggle with this myself. I'm going through a process right now of a lot of posting and deleting of posts. Is anybody else doing that? I get mad, I post something, I think I shouldn't have posted that because I was mad and I delete it. And We can get caught up in what's going on can get caught up in all of the terrible things that are happening. A friend of mine was writing about what happened in Charlottesville, and I thought it was so good. He said, you know, here's the reality. No matter what everyone is saying about how messed up our world is and that we are one step away from civil war. I mean, seriously, one step away from civil war. That a few hundred people showed up at that rally but millions of other people would not condone that behavior. And what we have a tendency to do is focus on the few hundred rather than the millions who are accepting and loving and caring of others, who are giving of themselves to help those in need, and that see beyond color and see beyond religion and see beyond gender, and they are able to see people and love them. Millions of people are able to do that. A few hundred, maybe a few thousand even are not. And yet we're scared to death that we're at the brink of civil war because of that. When you trust God and when you follow Him, it's not that you ignore what's going on, but you begin to trust that, God, I trust you will make happen what should happen. And when you do that, you take the control out of your hands, you give it to Him, and there's an amount of rest and peace that comes flooding in. I believe that's part of what's going on with David, why he's not already announced his successor. He's seen already through what happened with Saul. He has seen what happened with Goliath. He's seen what happened in all of those years running from Saul. He has seen how God has provided in the time when it was needed because God was going to have his will done. And I believe at this point in his life, he is trusting that that's what's going to happen. God's got this. God can handle this. Now, on the other side of that coin is the reality that Christians cannot simply wait on God to do what He has already told us to do. And this is something that you can get into this weird place of, of believing this is faith and just saying, oh, I'm just waiting on God to do it. And God has said, I have already told you to do it, so go do it. And it's not done because you've not done it yet. And that's where David is going to find himself. Hey, David, you can sit around and wait on God all you want, but at some point you've got to act. And if you don't act, then this is going to go a bad way for the future of this nation. And God has plans for your lineage that cannot be fulfilled through anyone other than Solomon at this point. And so they go on. Your legacy will be found in how you raise your children the next thing I want you to know is that there are times that we should wait on God and there are times when God is waiting on us to act. If you ever read anything in Scripture that says it's time to act, then it's time to act. We don't have to pray and ask God, God, should I move in with my girlfriend? You don't have to pray about that. I know people who pray about that. God, should, is it okay that I'm sleeping with my, my girlfriend or my boyfriend? You don't have to pray about that. That should, no, you should not do that. There are so many things we don't have to pray about. God, I really like that car. Should I just go take it? He's got another one. No, you should not steal somebody else's car. I mean, there are some things we just don't have to pray about. 
you know, God, should, should, we, should we go to church somewhere? You don't have to pray about that. Maybe you got to pray about which one you go to, but you don't have to pray about should I go to church or sleep in. You know, there are things that we don't have to pray about. God, should I serve others? Or I think I should serve, but I'm just going to take the next year to pray about whether I should serve others. You don't have to pray. Maybe you need to pray about where you serve or how do you most effectively serve, but you don't pray about whether or not you should serve somewhere. There are some things that we wait on God for. There are some things we ask God only God can answer, and we need God to orchestrate pieces and give us wisdom and discernment about how we should act. But there are some things that are just perfectly clear, just act in this way. This pleases God, and so we do that. There are times we wait on God. There are times that God is just waiting on us to act. I'm going to skip the next part of the story because I'm about out of time. Nathan and Bathsheba. Bathsheba is the mother of Solomon. Nathan and Bathsheba hash, for pl- hash a plan. And they're going to go and say, hey, David, remember you said Solomon was going to be king. Now, we don't read that anywhere else other than here. So either they came up with this plan and it's true, or they came up with this plan and they were really manipulative. We don't know. But based on how Nathan has acted with David before, it's likely David has said this before and they're just reminding him. And interestingly enough, David is not even aware everything else that's happening with this other son. If we jump ahead to verse 28, King David answers, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king, and the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, as I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon, your son, shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place. Even so, I will do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May the Lord King David live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of our Lord, and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule, and bring him down to Gion. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him, and he shall come and sit on my throne. For he shall be king in my place, and I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my Lord, the king, say so. As the Lord has been with My Lord, the king, even so may he be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord, King David, which is what would happen. So they go on and they do this. I'm going to jump ahead a little bit because I'm running out of time and you can read this yourself if you would like to. While these trumpet blasts are going on announcing his, his kingship, Adonijah is having a party. Remember that he didn't invite all of these people to. And what's so funny about this story, and this is what is so applicable to us when we try to race ahead of God and force God to do stuff for us that he never intended to do, is that everyone in their partying and drinking and patting him on the back and saying how great of a king he is going to be, hears the trumpets. And when you hear the trumpets, something big is going on, and they aren't responsible for the trumpets. And then every one of his guests leave his party with him sitting there because they know he is not going to be king. Now see, you can spend a lot of time in your life orchestrating the way you want your life to be, but if God is not the author of that story, it will not happen. And how much time we waste on dreams, on visions, on ideas that were never given to us by God in the first place. That's why it is so important to have a good, solid time of prayer with God all the time, every day, so we can hear from Him, so we can follow His commands and His instructions. You can overcome any deficiency in your life by worshiping and following Jesus, but you will never do that if you are burdened with the sin of pride. It is the greatest sin that we all struggle with. It is one I struggle with. It's one you struggle with. We all struggle with pride because something down deep inside of us wants us to believe that we are special. And not that we are special because of Christ. We are special because something inside of me makes me more special than someone else. That is the current 
debate going on all around our nation and around the world. Who is the most special and is most worthy of living and being in control and in power in our world? We all want to be special. Adonijah wanted to be special. He wanted to be king, but he wouldn't be. For David, what we learn from his story is that he was able to overcome so many of his own problems, issues, and deficiencies by just worshiping and following God. We had the opportunity to worship and follow Jesus. And so I want to encourage you as some of the bigger lessons in life that we can take from David is that. That when he is the center of our world, he is the center of our lives, we can overcome so many issues that we deal with every day. The last thing I want to read to you were David's instructions to Solomon. This is right before David dies. This is what David said to Solomon now that he is king and now that he will take over. He says, When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. And keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies, as is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you turn. That the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way to walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel." Now, when it's time for your parting words, you think about what your parting words are going to be. And when you know you don't have much time left, you try to impart what is the most important thing that I need you to know. And for David, it was to walk in the ways of God. Over and over again, walk in the ways of God. When you fail... Walk in the ways of God. When you stumble, walk in the ways of God. When you sin, walk in the ways of God. And what we see in his life is God is not sitting there going, Man, we've been here before, Mark. I mean, come on. I, I just can't do it this time. I mean, that's not how God responds. Every time. When we turn and walk in the ways of God, He receives us back and He restores us. Every time. For some of us, maybe we need to learn that lesson as we look at others' faults and we go, I'm just so tired of them for whatever. And we need to recognize, even in their lives, if they will walk in the ways of God, they can be restored. God is so merciful and graceful. He is so faithful for us. The last three things I want to share with you about David for right now, and then I'll, I'll give you just a 30-second rest of the story. For those who have children, your legacy will be in your children. Parent intentionally. Parent intentionally. Some of us, as parents, we're still growing up. <laughs> we're not adults ourselves yet. And some of us are well old enough to be, right? There are sometimes Deidre looks at me and she thinks, what? Why haven't you not grown up yet, you know? Sometimes it's a good thing not to grow up, but a lot of times it's not. Be intentional about how you're raising your kids. This is the number one story they need to see in your life, that you are walking in the ways of God. It's interesting, if you want to look at at children today, at young adults today who continue to stay involved in a church when many of their peers are not, the number one thing that we see why is because they watched their parents live their faith every day. It was real to them. And when we talk about it, but we don't live it, they don't learn what we talked about, they learned what we lived. Walk in the ways of God. They are your legacy. And it may be that what God wants to do in your life is to use you to prepare their, your children 
for something that's coming. God does this all the time. You raise up a child, and the child has a purpose. So I want to encourage you to be intentional about that. With that, pass along the things that matter most. To love God, to follow Him, and to turn back to Him when you fail. Model it, demonstrate it, show it. Let them see that when they do it, God will welcome them back. Let them see that you can be restored. Don't just talk about it or let let us hear it in a sermon, but let them see it within your lives. And ultimately, I hope the bigger picture that you get is that God is merciful and faithful to all who are faithful to Him or who faithfully follow Him. I left a word out there, who faithfully follow Him. God is merciful and He is graceful. Now, sometime down the road, I don't know when we'll do this, we'll do kind of a what happens next. And if you are a student of the Old Testament, you will find that after the time of Solomon, the Old Testament gets very depressing. Because what we're going to find is that Solomon is a good king for most of his kingship. Towards the end of his life, he's going to fall away from the things that he learned from his father. But he begins his kingship by asking God for wisdom, and it is said he is the wisest man that ever lived apart from Christ. And he did incredible things. We read about in Proverbs, many sayings of wisdom sayings there that are so applicable to us today. And he led the nation of Israel into their greatest period of prosperity in their entire history. He did some incredible things. But along the way, starting with his children who would take the throne after him, they would be wicked and evil kings who were abusive and hard on the people. God would judge them over and over again, which is where we get our book of Judges. And they would come and they would restore the nation. We would not the book of Judges, but what we get, and I'm getting my history, I'm turning my history around, not the book of Judges, but that's where we begin to read about the stories of um, Oh, I'll, I'll come back to that. <laughs> it's left me. But in that series of bad kings, God is going to judge them. Ultimately, the nation of Israel is going to be overcome, and they're going to be overrun by a number of different people. And eventually, the whole city of Jerusalem is going to be destroyed and taken over by the Babylonians. You're going to read a whole lot of, in the Minor Prophets about God saying, you are being judged because you would not follow me. You continue to turn away from me. And eventually, God would, through a series of people, namely Esther and then Nehemiah, would eventually restore the nation of Israel so that they could be functioning again. We read in stories like Jeremiah that says, Uh, When the prophet Jeremiah, who is not a fun guy to read, says, if you will just cry back out to God and turn back to Him, God will restore you. And then we read about the coming of one that would make all of this that has happened before mute because the Savior would be coming. We'll get into some of that history later. It's fascinating, but it can be depressing But as you read through it, it reminds me that God's message from the beginning has been the same. If you will follow me and turn to me, I will restore you. But if you go your own way, then you will be without me. As you read through David's story, let's remember all the wonderful things he did. Let's remember all of the ways that he failed. Let's remember that God will forgive us when we fail ourselves. So that's the end of our story of the flawed king. Next week, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and uh, it's going to be a time, a doctrinal study on pneumatology. Pneumatology is a study of the Holy Spirit. So I hope that you'll come, and uh, if you're thinking, oh, that sounds like it's going to be a class or it's going to be boring, I tell you, it's going to be exciting, and it's not going to just be a bunch of, of academic information. But I hope you'll come back next week as we continue to do that. I will tell you that in the coming months, we're going to be talking to you in a little bit different way, and we're going to be talking about our next 10 years as a church. And I am so thankful for what God has done at Journey in the last 10 years, but I believe that it is time 
for us to make some changes as a church. Uh, I don't believe that it's up to me to tell you what all those changes are. Instead, we are going to come together as a community and act as a community, and we are going to seek the vision for which God has for us. Our vision to reach the lost and to be a church where you can come as you are will never change. But how we function as a community can. And I believe God has brought into our congregation here some incredible people that God wants to do some incredible things through. And so we'll be sharing a little bit more about that in the, in the coming weeks. But I hope that you'll be involved. I hope that you'll be uh, attending regularly and uh, that you will be with us on this next journey that we're about to take. Would you pray with me? Father, God, I thank you for the story of David. Thank you that we can fail and make mistakes, and yet you are so merciful and graceful to welcome us back. Father, I thank you for the example of his life. I thank you for the many wonderful ways that you worked in him and that our faith is built in seeing what you have done through his life. I pray, Lord, that you will help us that are in this room today, and we are struggling because we know that we have our own failings in our life that, that we've never confessed, we've never repented from, we've never admitted them before you. And God, I pray that you would give us the courage to turn our hearts back to you. I pray that in our time of meditation and prayer that our, our hearts would be inclined to repent, that we would not become so stiff, stiff-backed and so prideful that we no longer cry out and ask for your forgiveness. Father, I pray that you would be the center of our hearts, the center of our lives, the center of our world, so that you are the thing that we seek. Father, help us to be like David, that we will worship you and that you are the most important thing that we can have in our lives. You are the treasure You are the pearl of great price. Father, help us to worship you for how great you are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.